I'm not pulling out of my driveway. We all know what that means. It's time for another Drive to Work Coronavirus Edition. Okay, so I've been doing fun interviews while I've been stuck at home, and I've dug into the past to find uh, somebody that worked on Magic a while ago. So, Brian Schneider, say hello. Hello, everybody. Um, so, uh, there's a, let me ask you the question I ask everybody when we start, which is, how did you get into Magic? Yeah, I got into Magic uh, during a revise. My friends in high school, my girlfriend actually wanted to play, and so we got some decks to play with our friends, and that's how I got into it. Okay, and so that's back in Revise. Did you play continually up till Wizards, or did you have a stopgap or something? Um, I played from 1995 to 1998, and then the year before I joined Wizards, I actually had started to stop playing um, and was, was pretty much on the brink of becoming a lapsed player, which I didn't really mention when I worked there. <laughs> so uh, how did you get to Wizards? What, what, what brought you to Wizards of the Coast? Yeah, I ended up being um, a prominent deck builder in the 90s, in the early days of Magic. Um, and one of my teammates, Randy Bueller, uh, got uh, the job at Wizards, I think, a year or two before me. Um, and so he went into R&D on the development side and asked me if uh, I was interested. So it was really just fortuitous. Okay. Oh, Randy, got, Randy got a lot of people in. Definitely a lot of stories. Are, Randy got me in. Okay, so you came to Wizards. So what, what is the first thing you did when you came to Wizards? Um Oh, I ran the Future Future League. I did a lot of funny things. <clears throat> I worked on um, our internal playtesting organization to try and figure out how to evaluate cards. I think before I got there, um, there a lot of things broke. Well, things mm -hmm. broke while I was there. They probably still do. <laughs> um, but um, yeah, I was there to help try to figure out how to get the card balance part of the game right. And then I did all kinds of things. I wrote a scripts for ESPN when, you know, we've had eSport aspirations and worked on Harry Potter and Star Wars and all kinds of different games. Okay, so the first set that you led was Fifth Dawn, um, which interestingly, from a trivia standpoint, uh, Aaron Forsyth had been hired at Wizards to run the website uh, mm -hmm. and we brought him on Fifth Dawn as uh, he was going to write an article about the experience and we just gave him an opportunity to try to design stuff and he did such a great job we hired him into R&D. But anyway, you led, so I led the design, you led the development. Yeah. Um, so what, let's talk about Fifth Dawn a little bit. What do you, what, what do you remember about Fifth Dawn? Uh, I remember we had this pressure. I think um, a lot of Muradin, I think, was about playing within like one or two colors. And then we tried to force people to, you know, also like have this option of playing five colors, um, which I don't think everybody loved. Um, <laughs> but I, I think it was, you know, still worth trying. I think there are a lot of really unique, iconic cards, um, from that set that, um, I remember pretty fondly, but I also like, I, if you were to like name five cards from Fifth Dawn, I don't know that I could. <laughs> well, I mean, one of the things, so the audience understands behind the scenes what was going on is we made Mirrored in Block. Let's just say not our finest hour of uh, development, and uh, it broke pretty badly. And both, so Mirrodin and D Dark Steel, Fifth Dawn, by the time we were working on Fifth Dawn, we kind of understood that we had messed up. And so Fifth Dawn, what they said to us when I like, can design is, you know, all that stuff we did earlier on the block, don't do any of that stuff. <laughs> and that's why we went to the five color thing was we were just trying to like, we had to do something different because everything everything early in the block was breaking. Um, 
And so, so you 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 led the development for the least broken set in uh, 50, in uh, Mirrodin Black. <laughs> yeah, I think that was sort of a sea change. I think yeah, I remember like Mirrodin conversations where one person in particular was like, "We're going to push artifacts really hard. This is the artifact theme. There has to be an artifact deck. We have to make sure that out of the you know thousands of artifacts that are in in this set, like or in this block, like something has to be good." Um, and that just like didn't go the right way um, at all. And I think you see a transition between Fifth Dawn. Kamigawa, Ravnica, and Time Spiral, like, we moved away from doing really powerful cards and created formats that played much better together. Um, but it, it also, we took some lumps along the way. So at some point along the way, when, when did you become the head developer? Do you remember? Um, I would say when I... Um, uh, I took over at Champions around the point where there was a handoff. Randy was supposed to lead Kamigawa. There's like a long story there where Kamigawa's okay. design didn't come in very well. Yeah. And so Randy ended up like leading a month long, like sojourn into trying to improve that design. And then I took over development from him. And, yeah. and that's when I pretty much took over. Yeah. Okay. Um, so let's talk a little about Champs and Kamigawa. So you led the development for uh, the main set, um, which really back in the day the, the main set did such a strong job of determining what the rest of the block was doing um, that usually... I was the well. I became the head designer around that period, but uh, I, I tended to do the fall sets. And you, for a period of time when you were there, I would do the fall set, and then you would lead. I would lead the design. You would lead the development. Yeah. So um, all, all the all the, it's funny. I, I realized that uh, champions wasn't mine. Champions was done by uh, Brian yeah, yeah. Uh, Brian Tinsman. Um, but the other sets we're going to talk about later today. So of of the stuff you led, three of the things I led the design for. So anyway, um, yeah, like okay. so okay. So champions. Talk, let's talk about champions a little bit before we get to. Sure. We, uh, what what do you remember of Champions of Kamigawa? Yeah, I think it was a challenging set. I think it was tough from the design perspective. I don't think the team bought into the notion of doing a Japan themed set. They didn't work really well together, um, and so you just you just kind of felt it from the development side that like what was going to come in wasn't going to be loved fully. Um, and so working on the development team, like that same sentiment, I think translated. Where it's really nice to work on a, a product like. Ravnica, or even with Onslaught and uh, Muradin, there were things you could immediately love about it, and I think it took us a while to get to the place where we were like pretty happy with it, um, or at least happy with what it could be. Um, again, like it was a, kind of an unpopular theme, uh, which didn't help. Um, Set-wise, yeah, I, I, I think eventually in the last couple of months, I think the team came to appreciate the design much more. Um, partly because I think we started cutting casting costs, but I think there were some missed opportunities, partly because we didn't challenge um, sort of prevailing opinion at the time. Like, there was a logic that you couldn't make things uh, strictly better or strictly worse than something else. So we ended up having casting costs that were just kind of inflated because there was this weird parasitic design all over the place with spirit and mystic and et cetera. And so we ended up making a set that kind of tailored to itself instead of like the whole of magic. And it just, it was really like fun to play in isolation, but it would have been a better one-off set and certainly uh, a good learning experience. But I think if we had another month or two, we probably would have deviated from that a bit more, maybe put instant and sorcery on splice instead of putting it on whatever that mechanic was, you know, yeah, it splice, just wasn't, it didn't splice, fit in splice well. Splice on arcane. The funny thing is I came to you, with the idea of doing splice on instant or sorcery, and you're like, had you just come three months ago, we could have talked. 
I totally agree with like I wish we had done it. And afterwards, like I've thought about like how do I wish we would have done these blocks better? Yeah. It's not that hard to figure out how to do champions better, except like the theme was kind of tough. Um, I wish we had put more power level into it. You know, if you're gonna put in these fun new mechanics, like I think you need to make them sing. The split cards, we the flip card, I think we could have done a better job with. We we just we were a little bit scared of our own mistakes in Muradin and you know, that's its own mistake. We needed another month or two and we didn't have it. So, so it turns out the chance to come on block, interestingly, was kind of the changing of the guard in some ways. So what happened was Randy, Randy had been overseeing development, even though he was the lead, he had been overseeing development. He was the director and Bill, who was the VP was, was doing design. And it was during this block that they, they, Randy finally said, fine, you be head developer. And he said to me, you be head designer. And you and I sort of took like in the middle, it, it didn't really happen during the block because it happened in the middle of the block. Um, yep. But the first block, you and I sort of uh, our reigns was Ravnica, so right. that like that, that went a little better than uh, than uh, Jim Takamagawa. For sure. So let's talk about Ravnica. So what what is your memory of Ravnica? I've talked about Ravnica on my podcast infinite times, but what was, what is your memory of Ravnica? Yeah, I think uh, everyone really liked the idea, which made it uh, the energy around it was really good, and so people were very supportive of what it was trying to do. Um, and from a development perspective, it was pretty easy like to try to build uh, an environment around letting people cast their gold cards um, in thematic ways. Um, I think from a development perspective, we tried to avoid having like anything be overly powerful. And if you look at like the constructed formats and even the limited formats of that time, they were probably the most diverse that I ever saw. Um, and maybe it's been, you know, beaten in the from a diversity perspective and from a gameplay perspective, I think it was kind of a special block and a special window of time. Like the sets that surrounded Ravnica ended up having very fun um, formats that, that went along with it. So it just partnered really well with everything around it. So one of the things I know they were nervous, the development was a bit nervous about when I first sort of pitched the guild model was that the block draft was a really weird ask from you guys. Yeah. Do you want to talk a little bit about that? Like, what is it like when each set has different color pairs how did you guys figure out how to make that work? Yeah, I remember there being a big fight about whether it needed to be four guilds or five guilds in the beginning. Um, I think ultimately we trusted you, but <laughs> <laughs> I think it's because we playtested both and then just concluded that 4-3-3 was going to be more elegant. Yeah. Um, it could have blown up in our faces. Like with Fifth Dawn, I think it was kind of unpopular. Um, yeah. But, you know, I think that was a case where, you know, your instincts were right and we... Uh, got out of our own way um do you have any what is your what is your favorite memory of ravnica just working on ravnica i think my favorite memory of ravnica my favorite Rav, like my favorite memory from that period is kind of similar from my favorite memory we, we worked on a star wars game at some point yeah um so we had a star wars trading card game that we did yeah yeah you and richard designed it and it's kind of a similar story where there was like on the guild pack design team there was uh, a blocker like preventing like good <laughs> ideas from getting across and like i ended up being the person to like break the hold um and so in my mind it's like helping people who have good ideas like get them over the finish line. For me, that's what I remember best. It's more like enable enabling others to like do the best work. In terms of the sets, I don't, I'm, that's a long time ago. Yeah. The, uh, it was very funny that like, uh, 
it's sort of like in the beginning when you you do new ideas, there's people that are kind of opposed to them. But then after they're successful, like everybody loved them, like history gets rewritten and, you know, so. Yeah, I think for me, the memories of like working with with you and Aaron and Devin and, and the team on making something people really loved. I think that's what I remember. The people stick with me more than the, the game. Sure. And one of the things that's not, I mean, Ravnica in some ways was really um, a watershed kind of set in the sense that it really, it reshaped a lot of how we thought about things and how we made things. I mean, the fact that we've been back there twice already, I mean, it's clearly a fan favorite. So there's something about it. It's funny because one of the things that as a designer that tags at me is I always want to keep innovating. And every time we go back to Ravnica, everyone's like, don't change it. That's, that's what, that's what it is. Like, I mean, but please, can I make something? Can I further evolve it? It's like, no, no, we love it like it is. And so it definitely is this thing we, we, we keep revisiting and it, we very much revisit as it is. And one of these days, let me, I, I keep wanting to revamp it a little bit. I'm like, come on, let me, let me shake it up a little bit. So, okay. Speaking of shaking things up, uh, the next block, holy moly, we shook things up. Uh, time spiral block. So, what are your memories of Time Spiral Block? Time Spiral Block. It was, you know, so complicated to try and build something that would. It was basically like building a, an entire block out of cube. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and so, like, the way I tried to work was like very intuitively and empathically. And so, I'm trying to like take all of this like crazy information and make it make sense. Um, oh, I just realized something. I say so. I didn't. I didn't design Time Spiral. Uh, Brian Tinsman designed Time right. Spiral. Yeah. I, I did. Fi- I did uh, Future Sight. Um, but I did not do Time Spiral. So I did Fifth Dawn, I did Ravnica, but uh, Champions and Time Spiral were Brian. Yeah, I think with Time Spiral, it was, a, it was again, like, we were in development. It was about a month in, or it was early days, and, like, there were developers who were like, this isn't workable. <laughs> <laughs> um, and it was just a really hard design to work with from the start. Um, and I think we kind of leaned in on, like, the nostalgia and the complexity in a way that, like, certainly in retrospect, I wouldn't have done again but um that's what i think you know me Devin, aaron probably you were like drawn to at the time and so we took a gamble there and uh i wish we had put dual lands in the set uh, but <laughs> i mean we we le- yeah we, we we definitely leaned in i think what happened was we wanted to make a nostalgia set and just said i mean we, we had we had such fun making this set it was it so is. fun to design um it's funny because modern horizons is a set that like we kind of re- revisited this idea and mm-hmm. I, I had so much fun with my horizon, just remembering, like, there, there's something about designing and just, you can do whatever you want, you know, you, you have all the tools at your disposal that is a little intoxicating, especially mm-hmm. when you have all the nostalgia mixed in. And, um, but, but, but here's my big memory of Time Spiral was, um, we had a lot of cool concepts, but it was a little rough. Brian turned in a set that was structurally like there are a lot of cool ideas but it wasn't structurally all there and i know you spent a lot of time sort of building a lot of structure in that's my memory yeah. of time spiral is you did a lot of reworking of taking a lot of brian's cool concepts and the team's cool concepts but giving a little more structure to it yeah i think if you played for magic for five or ten years like you really appreciated that set and that block yeah um and i think you can see the love that went into it but uh certainly the bar was way too high for anyone who was new to the game. Uh, yeah, it, so. it definitely taught us some stuff. Um, yeah. But, uh, okay, so, 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 think back. So, you were, how long were you at Wizards for? Three, uh, six th- years. Six years? Yeah. Okay, so what, what, what are other fond memories you have? Like, what are, do you, like, what's the magic card that you're proudest of having made? 
Yeah. Hmm. I think on, on Kamigawa, I realized driving into work one morning that you could use the legend rule to uh, make for really interesting effects. Um, so the dragons ended up coming from me. Um, mm. Or I was inspiration for all the Kamigawa dragons. Um, but, I, you know, it's funny. Like, I remember at the time, like, designing over 100 cards or but I, I couldn't tell you most of them. <laughs> it's funny when I'm like at working at one of these tech companies and there's a bunch of people playing magic. I'm like, Oh, I made that. But, uh, I recognize more than I recall. If that yeah. makes sense. Well, what, what was your, so one thing that's fun when I go back to talk to people from, from long ago, um, I talk a lot about wizards now, um, in my podcast and stuff, but I, I don't talk as much. So you were there from 99, 98, 2000 to 2006. Oh, 2000, 2006. Okay. Um, so what, what was R&D like? What, what, what is your memory of magic R&D? Uh, you know, I think a lot of it was asking ridiculous theoretical questions and then talking about it half the day, right? <laughs> um, and so uh, there, there were how many, how many uh, IQ points would you give up for height? Yeah. <laughs> you know, the basketball and things like that. Um, and so it was always this kind of like, it's almost a humor style that I don't encounter anymore, but, um, oh, wait, wait, I should give the actual question. So the audience can, uh, the actual question was, this was a scaff question. How many IQ, uh, uh for, what was it? I guess for giving up 10 points for an inch or oh, was it 10 points for an inch of vertical leap. I, I think uh, it was, or height or just a height. No, 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 it wasn't, no, it wasn't height. It was, uh, the question was how many IQ points would you give up? I think it was for a certain amount of vertical leap in basketball. <laughs> that, that was the original question. I think, I think there was extrapolations off that. Um, and, and Scaff, anyway, one of the things, if you have, I do a comic trip, and in my comic trip, I, I, uh, there's a reoccurring comic I do where people in the pit are just asking random questions and uh, we're wasting our day answering silly questions about, like, if you could clone one of the seven dwarfs to fight a war, which one would it be, and stuff like that. <laughs> Yeah, it was definitely a silly and playful environment. I definitely felt like one of the more serious folks in terms of like trying to keep everything on the rails, but it was fun for sure. Um, okay, so w we talked about the stuff you led. Uh, what, what what team? Were you, any teams on that were interesting? Um, let's see. You, st what was the first team? You remember the first team you were on? I worked on Odyssey, maybe. Odyssey. Okay. I think that's a long time ago. Do you, have any I, <laughs> do you have any memories of Odyssey? That's the set I led, the design for. Um, Odyssey? Okay, think, uh, uh, that was, I, um, Randy led the development for that, I believe. Yeah, I think uh, I ended up uh, breaking some cards that people probably never saw. There was a card <laughs> called Detach. I think it was unsummoned, but you could unsummon two creatures very quickly for like you and one you and uh, I ended up having like kind of absurd decks. Uh, you could do really crazy things with like things going to the graveyard um, that in development you get to, you know, kill on turn one and two much more reasonably than you do in the real world. So I got to do a lot of card breaking. A couple things still got through, but. So uh, that's interesting. Um, so one of the things, I mean, still this today is we like to hire people that are very good at deck building uh, because you guys have the skill of identifying things in the file that might be problematic, and then you build decks to prove that they're problematic. Um, now, did you ever... One thing that I always find... Not that I do a lot of that, but I always... Whenever I had a card I really liked, I always felt bad putting in decks because I didn't want it to get nerfed. 
So um, I remember I that's, that's a pretty common designer. Yeah, I remember though. I once when I was what was it? It was for Urza's Destiny. Uh, I made a mono white playtest deck that had four copies or some number of copies of Yogma's Bargain in it, and it was mm-hmm. a, it was a replenish deck basically. And I know it. I know way to cast them. I just was going to. I, I discarded them to like. Uh, whatever the the white di- uh, discard gain life, there's like a a cycle in, in that thing. Um, but anyway, I remember I mentioned it once on, online that I made that, and people were mocking me for it. And I'm like, it was a brutally good deck. I don't know why everyone was mocking me for it. Yeah, I think it, it was funny coming to Odyssey. It just seemed like a lot of the stuff that you know, a lot of stuff hadn't been caught yet. So it was a lot of fun to beat people. I think my initial record was really good, uh, but that that changed over time. Yeah, one of the things that I think your track record, um, and, I mean, you and Randy and a bunch of people, that the early development in Magic was not our our, our strength. Uh, and really, there was a period of kind of ramping up development, uh, of which you were a key player there, of just, right, like, for example, uh, talking about just getting p- things into place, like uh, systems into place so that you could figure out and evaluate stuff. Yeah. Um I think that you were the progenitor, and then Eric Lauer did a lot after you. But the nowadays they have all these tools and all these things that they do um, about you know. I one of my, my quotes I, I say a lot is that I feel like the early part of Magic is very art, and the later part of Magic is very science. You know that you know I, I'm making whatever I want to make, but later on it's like you, you have to make sure everything works and put it through the system, and you know um, there's a lot of calibration that goes on. Yeah, I think in terms of creation, the world has changed everywhere in that regard. Is there any? So we have a little bit of time here. So I'm curious what what magic memories? What what you have a good magic memory? Something you your time at, at Wizards six years? Uh, yeah, I you know there were a series of pranks. I didn't prank you, um, but there were a series of pranks that happened in the. Wait, wait, did you do them? Did you do the pranks? I may or may not have pulled the pranks. Um, (laughs) But you didn't. Did you do my prank? I didn't. I don't. I. I think I have an idea of who did your prank, but uh, like the one related to goldfish and farming, I'm familiar with. But the one where the eggs that like cracked and yeah, we all we all had to smell it for weeks. (laughs) Not not uh, not vetted by development. So real quickly for the audience, might not know the story. So. in R&D for a while, there was a prank. Turns out, I think there's not one prank. I think it was a series of prank. Because numerous people have now, uh, over the years, said, oh, I did some of it. So I think it was multiple people. Um, but Mike Donay has... has, uh, has uh, Mike did yours, I think. Yeah, what? Mike uh, did So anyway, one day, I'm about to leave town, I think, and I'm stopping the office to grab something. And my desk is... Co- every, every inch of my desk is covered with eggs. Um... My desk, my chair, every, just eggs, my shelves, everything's covered with eggs. And then there's a live bird in a birdcage on the eggs. And the funny thing was, I had to leave to go on vacation, so I couldn't even clean it up. So I'm like, I took a picture with it, and then I, I had to go. And then other people cleaned it up. And then uh, they had put eggs in this uh, card box that no one realized when they cleaned up that there were eggs in the card box. And then months later, there's a smell that we were trying to figure out where the smell was coming from. And it was that egg box, so. <laughs> so which yeah. pranks did you do? Um, I was tied to the, the farm. Henry's, the first one was Henry's farm. Oh, right, there's ba- bales of hay and uh, right, Henry's desk. 
The trick yeah. was they would pick somebody's desk and they would do stuff, right? So. Yeah, I think Andy Collins. Uh, we we essentially built a, an aquarium in cups um, and put them all over his desk, and he had, I think, like a hundred goldfish to, to deal with. But <laughs> the the eggs, I'll, I'll, I'll the, yeah, egg, the eggs wasn't so. Here, so. <laughs> Yeah, it's yeah. funny. I've 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 referenced this. Uh, I I I say we call we we refer to it as uh, the Mad Farmer because <laughs> yeah. it started with the farm, and so. Um, but that was a mystery for a long time. Now, see, you listen to my podcast, you learn who it's still half a mystery. Who, who was yeah. the Mad Farmer? Well, part of it was Brian. <laughs> that is correct. Um, yeah, one of the things that, that's a fun thing to talk about. Um, the uh, after hour, you know, the the sort of. Um, one of the things that that I love about R and D is it's a group of gamers, and so there's a lot of gaming that goes on, um, and it, mm-hmm. it's it, even to today. I, although I, I miss a lot of it because I go home with my family, but uh, there's a lot of after hours gaming that goes on at Wizard. Well, back when we could actually go to the office, there was plenty in our. Of, uh, oh yeah, I remember that. Um, what what else? What I'm just trying to get people a, a sense of. I guess this is sort of 2000, 2006 Wizards. During my time, you know, there was an active basketball game. A lot of people from the company would go and play basketball every day. I think um, one thing I liked about Wizards is um, it was very inclusive. So, like, the whole team would, like, say, hey, we're doing lunch today. And there would be different groups that would go off and either play games or have, like, funny conversations about, you know, just a very creative vibe. Um, But it was very open and not very exclusive or niche or everyone was just there to have fun. Uh, And that's rare. I think that's actually really special. So, um, I'm trying to think. I'm almost, almost, I'm almost to work. Um, is there any final sort of thoughts on your time on Magic or, or, or on Wizards in general? Uh, it's funny. Um, I, I definitely liked working in that medium a lot. Having worked in tech for the last decade, I think Magic's a really special medium to design for. You can essentially just like change a couple of knobs, write in some words, and you have like an entirely new object that you can like understand really quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, so the pace of being able to make a game or work in a game where like you can feel it really fast, I think um, that was pretty unique. Um, and there aren't that many formats where that's true. Maybe technology will improve and we'll be able to make um, experiences that you can like make as an empath more quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, but as an intuitive person, like magic's, magic was like, bar none in terms of uh, mediums that were fun to work with in a very human way. It's just not the way technology works at this point. So uh, I do miss that. Yeah, one of the things you mentioned, which is really interesting to me, is um, whenever you go to tech companies, that there's always people that play magic there. Yeah, <laughs> that there, there's something. There's some correlation between uh, the desire to create something and the love of magic. That uh, I find there's, you know, there's a high correlation between that. Just true for game, like whenever I go to like GDC or something, every game design studio has a has a Magic League. You know, it's just a thing that every that tech do. company has a Magic League. Yeah, it's like it's just there's something about like how the engineering mind works and how Magic works. Like there's a real symbiosis there. So any um, so I'm gonna wrap up now because I'm at my desk. Um, any last thoughts? Any final uh, th- things you? looking back on magic in, in your past? Yeah, I think for me, it's like, where is, where is magic going to fit in? I haven't played a lot over the last 
since I left. Um, but with, I have two kids and nephews. And so, uh, there'll be a point where like, I probably re-enter on their behalf. And so, um, Oh, the next generation will pull you back. <laughs> yeah. So it probably, you know, five years from now, maybe I'll, I'll send you a, an email about what <laughs> you do here. Um, but, uh, I guess there's some kind of like, in my mind, there's a horizon where I'll probably, uh, see what you've been up to. Okay. Well, I'm excited to find out when, let, let me know when you do. So anyway, uh, I'm now at my desk. So we all know what that means. It means it's the end of my drive to work. Uh, so instead of talking about magic, it's time for me to be making magic. So thank you, Brian, for joining us. All right. Thanks, everybody. Thanks, Mark. Okay. I'll see you guys next time. Bye-bye.